0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Africa, at Africa. Africa. the center Africa. of the world, latitude zero, longitude zero. Africa. Planned Africa. by the Creator. Sazanpith was the first man found Africa. on the Earth. That Earth.
2: So vast, so great, the African embrace when you give the color of life. Universal harmony. The Earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity Uplifting together Human
1: beings,
2: human love on a spiritual tip. one
1: power.
2: so vast to the other. So great. The African embrace, live beyond, love beyond,
3: your skin to where you belong.
4: We a long time ago and it wasn't a show We gave birth to a style like a precocious child Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade Creating language to persuade Share who we've always been Always a blessing, never a sin We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop our mother gave birth to everyone on earth so we echo her call and always walk tall because we're hip to the world so we create black pearls that everyone can wear that everyone can share we can't live in despair so we shine everywhere
5: You on the third day of April, 2022, to Africa on the move, as your host, Brother Africa. It's always an honor and a privilege to come your home this evening, where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We're here to give you information, hoping to inspire you to high-level activity where you work towards happy to liberate the suffering of your people and the suffering of humanity. We know our information cannot think and what our organization cannot think clearly. So we hope during this episode we get a chance to share with you various forms of information as well as to introduce you to different organizations that will help you to actively join the ongoing movement for all mankind to be free and liberated all of the various forms of oppression that exist today. So again, we welcome you to Africa on the Moon, like always. The agenda will entail us. what's going on in your world and the community followed by the discussion of today's theme, which is part two, South America and the world from Talisul. That's today's theme, Part 2 South America and the World from Lore. We'll discuss the articles, events that are having an impact on our community and our world. And like always, we encourage you to join us by dialing in at 323-679-0849. On today's day, a little brief tidbit of your history. We just would like to remind you that Dr. Carl G. Wilson, He was an African historian. He died in Washington, D.C. in 1950 on this day, the 3rd of April. So let's get started with our pilot, like always. We will introduce to you our political panelists and analysts. And right now, we're going to bring in Brother Haki, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Haki.
3: Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamapi Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know, my thing is all about the institution building. But I got to tell you, Brother Africa, one of the very problematic uh, circumstances, you know, in the society, uh, is that this whole question around voting. People are under the perception that uh, we, in fact, have a right to vote. But in reality, recent uh, history has dictated that that right no longer exists. But most people don't realize that, so I thought it was important to highlight some of the history and, and some of the, the current history in terms of this question around voting rights. Because if people really believe that voting rights is, in fact, the, the, the salvation that we seek, then if we don't have that as a, as a means in terms of bringing about change, then how does that alter or how does that change uh, how we should proceed uh, to make change in a society? So Clearly Brother Africa, I want you to listen to this. Now, attacks on voters' rights long preceded Trump's allegations of a stolen election. Certainly, as a pretext to prevent stolen elections in the future, the right wing has used this opportunity to disenfranchise Africans, Latins, and immigrants, and the poor from the voting polls. According to the Brennan Law Center, Republican state legislators have been busy passing laws to restrict access to voting. This is not a new strategy, and it has been in existence for most of the U.S. existence. Since the passage of the 15th Amendment striking down voter discrimination in 1870, the vitriol or contempt expressed by the white ruling class <coughs> was immediate. Partly in response to over 1 million Africans voting for the first time, the more visceral impact centered around 1,510 black officeholders who came to power as a result of black voters and the 15th Amendment after Reconstruction. Blacks accompany every level of government from tax assessors to churches of the state from sheriff to school board, from state legislators to federal senators, constituted a legitimate threat to the state to the power structure, which had to be dealt with systematically. Laws were enacted to deny Africans the right to vote. such <coughs> Laws such as the poll tax, literary tax, felony disenfranchisement laws, and the grandfather clause made voting impossible unless the voter could demonstrate its ancestors had previously voted in elections. Obviously, Africans were prevented from voting because Prior to Reconstruction, Africans were denied the right to vote. Remedies employed by the ruling elites to limit voting for blacks and women were affected, but their ability to maintain the political subjugation of Africans were compromised by federal troops stationed throughout the South to combat terrorism against Africans and the protection of voting rights for African people. This situation was remedied by the Compromise of 1877, whereby Southern Democrats would support Ruth B. Hayes' Republican who opposed slavery as president for the, of the U.S. for democratic support. And actually, in that point in that point of history, Brother Africa, the Democrats actually supported slavery. So she was really clear on that point. Now, Hayes, would, as a result of being elected, Hayes would remove all federal troops from the South, effectively, in the Reconstruction. Africans would no longer receive protection under the law. While federal troops were removed from the South, Southern homeland, interpretation of constitutional law government voting reflected a philosophy in which standards of value, principles of morality and reasoning <coughs> impacted court decisions. Recognized as a natural law, these variables contribute to an un- uniquely Western interpretation of voting rights whereby states are better suited to establish voting requirements for their population. The problem with the state sovereignty is states are not compelled to take into consideration voter suppression, only that voting takes place. Now, the justification of the Voters' Right Amendment Act of 1965 was signed into law specifically to ensure states could not erect legal barriers to prevent Africans from voting. Like all protracted struggles, the right-wing attempt to disenfranchise black voters did not end. Claims of judicial activism branded any judge who used the Constitution to address inequality in society as unfit for the bench. That strategy was successful and used in this campaign to stack the Supreme Court with right-wing ideologues who favor non intervention in state affairs. Known as federalists, these judges practice strict judicial restraint, whereby they believe states should operate autonomously even when drawing congressional maps determining political representation is drawn to disadvantaged black people. Indifference toward Af- Africans quickly manifest in laws specifically to eliminate voting opportunities for African people. In 2013, <laughs> The Supreme Court ruled the Voting Rights Act unconstitutional under Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. The, 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 the ruling was that it violated the 10th Amendment against states' rights. By a vote of 5 to 4, the legal protections for the African to ensure the right to vote was eliminated. The Supreme Court jury's rationale for the reversal of the law holding states accountable consisted of two reasons. One, states would not, ha- not be held accountable because of, one, election, election clause. This clause gives legal legislatures authority over time, manner, and place over federal elections, while states should have while states should have dominion over federal mandates like voting. Seems oxymoronic. This clause goes on to say, state supreme courts cannot second guess election rules established by state legislators. So situations like gerrymandering uh, ID laws and such cannot be overturned, even when those measures are discriminatory against African people. Secondly. Conditions that limited black voters no longer existed today. Uh, voter suppression is a thing of the past. Uh, that state mandates at their heart around voting are concerned, about voter, uh, are concerned about voter suppression. Now, facts suggest otherwise. In the case of Brunovich versus Democratic National Committee out of Arizona, rules stipulated casting votes at the wrong precinct disqualified that vote for president or the governor. It further restricted, uh, uh, imposed restrictions on voting by mail in which those stipulations were not posted specifically in terms of laying out exactly uh, how those stipulations may be violated. But in any event, those stipulations severely handicapped the indigenous people. Now the course justification for this ruling was this, quote, uh, such laws are justifiable because social historical conditions created by racial discrimination is invalid because racial discrimination or desperate treatment or similar treatment exists in every state. Now this ruling can be interpreted in one or two ways by the African. This is important people get this. Africans have declared defining constitutional consideration for protection of voting rights no longer an issue. Discrimination has ended. Or well, secondly, since discrimination exists in every state, the determining specific remedies makes application of the law inconsistent in applying the law fairly law should be applied fairly or consistently. So we should be understanding, so if, if in order for the law to be applied consistently and fairly, the question of discrimination can never be a legitimate question because we're interfering in terms of the, uh, the sanctity of the law, and that's very important that we get that distinction. Now, while this ruling openly acknowledged racism, other ruling tacitly implies racial underbelly of U.S. voting laws. In a North Carolina case, Justice Alito who advocates independence of states, concluded court intervention necessary to clarify congressional voting districts to ensure constitutionality. Uh, <clears throat> but in the Alabama case establishing congressional voting districts one month later, according to The Guardian, he argued it would be too disruptive for the court to impose new non-discriminatory congressional map for Alabama. Ironically, Alito is willing to protect the sanctity of North Carolina state legislative body shaping congressional maps, but is opposed to using judicial power to protect rights of blacks in Alabama who are denied constitutional protection. I have a very simple question for, for all those voting rights advocates out there. If the high court in land thinks voting rights are not guaranteed, then how much of a democracy can, how much of a democracy can the U.S. be? I think that question is pretty central and, and, and key in terms of understanding the predicament that we find ourselves turning in, and that we got to find some way to navigate, you know, around us in terms of being viable as a community. Because the bottom line is that if we think that we're going to determine laws to bring about the kind of redress that we need in terms of bring about more harmonious and just society, then we're sadly mistaken. So clearly, Brother Africa, we've got our work cut off for us, and I close with that.
5: Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move.
6: Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism back in my high school years, 1968, in a government class. I call Marxism the race secure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that mouthy tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts, you know. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. Uh, I know that women hold up half the sky, therefore I support the Equal Rights Amendment (ERA). Yes, and this this is a struggle about information. It's about info wars. They they branded it, uh, and I guess we may have to acknowledge that it is an info war out there, and that um there's misinformation and all kinds of uh, facts and narratives. But uh, the struggle is for scientific socialism as envisioned by Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao Zedong to be an example. Um, and I, I say we have to study, study, study these people who have been historically leaders and and in order to know what time it is right now, we have to be concrete about the past. And you know, when Mao was pointing out socialism and words, imperialism and deeds, you know, he was he was talking about the Soviet Union. You know, Afghanistan proved the point. And uh, and you know, we 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 have to be clear that. Um, anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you, brother, Africa, for allowing me to be on the show.
5: Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we bring in Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor.
2: Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists and listening audience. I'm uh, very happy to be with you all this evening. And Brother Haki talked about the 39 states that uh, since the November 2020 election have taken action to suppress uh, voters' rights in this country, and the fact that the current Supreme Court chose not to hear a case that came before it uh, little over a year ago, and so uh, voting legislation is up in the air. We failed to pass either bill in Congress, the John Lewis voters bill or the other voters rights bill. So we are in a uh, a quandary. And uh, after all, 70,000 people voted for Donald Trump. And the problem wasn't so much voting for Donald Trump, except for the fact that he is a a uh, neo-fascist. He's a fascist, like Bolsonaro. And this was the problem. So uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I stand in solidarity with uh, uh, voters' rights in the United States, with the Palestinian people struggling against Israeli apartheid, and uh, with the Yemen, the people of Yemen, Afghanistan, and the other peoples of the world suffering from starvation and a lack of heat this winter. Thank you, Brother Africa.
5: Um, Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And right now, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break. And when we come back, we can move to our first segment for this program, What's Going on Your World and the Community. And you can participate by calling in at at 323-679-0841, 3, 3, 1, hit one. We will announce the last four numbers. So let's take this break, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
1: No mind your nationality, but you have got the identity of an African. But if you come from Clarendon, and if you come from Portland, and if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African. Don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African do mind your nationality You have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from... Tazza del dita, giuchi, napritina, idi kongo belle, na we are
7: to Candid
5: Africa. Truthful and unapologetic.
7: And I want to talk about the issue of access to vaccines. We have made a proposal which is supported by more than 100 countries. And what we have said is we want, and this comes back to what the youth were saying as well, they want to know whether they have a continent which will help to develop their skills where they can thrive. But what do we want? We want to be able to make our own vaccines, And we will deal with the issue of reluctance uh, for our Africans to take vaccines. But we want to make vaccines. We don't just want to fill and finish and package, which is what we are being offered. That we want you to build a capacity to fill, finish, and package, and uh, we will send you the drug substance. And we say, no, we want you to relax the intellectual property rights for a while so that we can make the drug substance, because we have the capability. And there are quite a number of countries on the continent that care. And right now, we've got countries like Egypt, Nigeria, uh, Ghana, Senegal, Rwanda, South Africa, and Kenya. Easily, They have the capability, the manufacturing capability. And we are saying we want to be able, we want to go beyond just getting the substance from Europe or wherever, filling and distributing. We want to make the drug substance because that is where the intellectual property resides. And that is where we want our young people who are epidemiologists, who are scientists, to see that there is a future for them then they will not go to Europe they will not go to America they will stay here because they will know that they can work effectively and display all the skills we have now what does the world the the, the northern part of the world do they say no we know what is good for you we just want you to do fill and finish and that's it and we say no (laughs) We no longer want that. You did that long ago when you colonized us. And when you raped and pillaged our countries, we're saying, no, now we have the capability and we want to make all these things ourselves. Now, quite often we find that there is a bit of paternalism that underpins the relationship between us. I'll give you a very good example. After Omicron uh, was announced, I was due to travel to West Africa, and in traveling uh, in the wake of Omicron, I received calls from the four presidents that I was going to travel to, President Makisar, Buhari, Watara, uh, as well as uh, Akufunana. And they said, we've heard about this Omicron Omicron are you still coming? We want you to come. What can we do to help? And, and I said, President, 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 if you're still relaxed about our coming, we are coming. A plane load of us, together with journalists, we got on the way. Before I left, I also got some calls from Europe. And the calls were so paternalistic. They were saying, hello, President Ramaphosa, we've heard about this OmriCon. I am sorry to tell you that we are banning travel to Europe from South Africa and Southern Africa. No discussion, no attempt to hear what our views are. And I'm saying that the relationship needs to be mutually respectful. We need to respect one another. The African president respected me as we respect one another. But from Europe, I just got a message of saying, we've banned travel, thank you, goodbye, see you next time. That's not the way to conduct a relationship. Did you like or hate what you heard? Let us know in the comments below, and if you want more candid speeches like this, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell to catch all our latest videos.
3: And please feel free to leave your suggestions, news tips, or topics about Africa you'd like us to cover.
5: Welcome to Candid Africa. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. You had just had a little footage that spoke to the issue of Africa independence in the area of being able to control its own medical situation and technology in the field of medicine. The question we'll pose why the West refuse to allow Africa to make its own vaccine. Is that the question why they chose to not let Africa make their own vaccine or should it be why we can't make our own vaccine. Panelists, based on what we just heard before we discuss what's going on in your world community, um, just give us your take considering they are saying now we need to be prepared for a new screen that may be coming up and it may get a little more worse again.
3: Brother Haki. Oh, what's the question, Brother African? question was, as you listened to
5: that particular piece just now, Excuse me. Was why the why the West stopped Africa from being able to um, have their own vaccination, create their own vaccine, and I raising the question of: Is that the question, or should the question be why Africa can't produce its own vaccine?
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think, Brother Africa, I think uh, um, they're wanting the same questions. I think we respect historically when we look at the role of colonialism in Africa, the role of the West has always been to continue to, under, to undermine uh, Africa's economy. And that is, that's, that is the intent. So if you think for one second that they're going to allow Africa to, to, to create its own vaccines, it would, it, would, it would suggest a sense of empowerment. And of course, one of the things that doesn't want Africa to come to a realization of that's a sense of empowerment. So I'm not surprised at all, but what I got to tell you about Africa, what I am surprised about the fact that when you talk about it in terms of intellectual properties, it seems to me there are states, there are states around the world in which you, who produce vaccines that are supposedly better than. US vaccines. So it seems to me that you go to countries like Cuba or to China or to Russia. In terms of you know sharing technology, in terms of creating your own vaccines, uh, seems to me that those avenues were available. The fact that um, President Ramaphosa uh, was, was particular in terms of you know uh, going through the West, in terms of you know uh, you know uh, you know, uh, you know um, um, creating a situation where you know uh, the um, where uh, the, the possibility of creating virus, I mean these, these vaccines. I, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to really understand that because there are countries out there who are actually willing and able in terms of assisting Africa in terms of you know its technological development. So therefore, I'm hard pressed to to, to understand why specifically President Ramaphosa was so adamant about going through the West. It's, it you know it, it makes no so sense when you look at the history of Africa. And one of the things when he talked about, in fact, the, when he got a call from the West, from the U.S., talking about we close we were central close the borders from South Africa. Uh, so when he, when he, when he when, you know, so, so we actually close the borders from, from, from traffic or, or flights from South Africa. Uh, it seems to me that uh, this kind of relationship, this kind of um, uh, paternalistic relationship has always been uh, on par uh, when it comes to U.S.-African uh, relationships. So it seems to me, uh, I don't know why President Ramaphosa would be surprised at the kind of arrogance that kind of do this exists among Western world. They've always been content to believe that they control Africa's every destiny, every move. And so, therefore, when when it comes time to decisions, there's no collaboration. It's a unilateral decision made by the West to say, you will abide by decisions that we made. And unfortunately, to some some extent, Brother Africa, the West has the power in terms of imposing unilateral uh, uh, decisions on Africa as long as Africa remains uh, fragmented and divided. Uh, you have to have a united Africa. You have to have one Africa in terms of being able to stand up to the West in terms of all these many machinations that it uses in terms of the, for, to further the underdevelopment of Africa. So, so, so clearly, you know, I respect uh, um, President Ramaphosa's position, you know, that he didn't appreciate the paternalism. And I certainly hope increasingly, uh, whether history suggests increasingly, more and more African leaders are beginning to resent this kind of uh, paternalism uh, toward Africa. And I certainly hope it continues to spread among African leaders throughout the continent. But the bottom line is that you have to have a, a coordinated, a a, a a collective Africa in terms of being able to compete, to, to compete effectively against the West because the West is unified in terms of the strategy and tactics used in terms of the underdevelopment of Africa. Now, back to this question in terms of vaccines brother the Africa, uh, you're right. The question is why is it that, you know, um, Africa, Africa on its own – it's not in a position to create its own vaccines, where well, there's a direct, legacy, a direct legacy of the colonialism that, is, that has permeated the African continent. And to the extent that Africans control the resources, uh, that, that's, not even, that's not even a, 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 a reality. Uh, so often when we talk about investments in Africa, what we don't understand is that these investments often come under the guise of credits. They're not cash money they actually give to African states in terms of, you know, for, for investments and so forth and so on. What they give them is credit, and so, which means that those credits uh, never leave the Western world. So the, United, so the Western world, the United States in particular, are in a position to determine to African states how those credits will be used, how they would be spent. And if African leaders don't use or spend those credits in a way in which the West wants them to use them, then they simply terminate the credits on its end because the money never leaves the United States or the West. It stays in the West where African countries get the credit. So it's important we understand the distinction in terms of, you know, how imperialism works. And so, like I said, unless Africa is unified and strong and creates its own currency as a starting point, its own independent bank, its own currency as a starting point, the bottom line in terms of being able to negotiate the U.S., it becomes highly, uh, elect, highly impossible uh, an endeavor to achieve uh, given the fact, you know, that already when it comes to currency or foreign currency exchange, you talk about the value of African currencies. African currencies have no real value. In order for African currencies, in order for Africa to c- conduct trade, they have to actually borrow from Western states to use that currency to conduct trade. That is ironic. I mean, so so clearly, you know, this kind of imperialist structure that exists. It cannot be dismantled state by state in Africa. It has to be done collectively. And if it's not done collectively, then Western states will continue to prey on Africa and to ensure these kind of systematic or these structural kind of um, – uh uh, uh maladies that uh that will continue to plague the african continent and the african african economic growth uh, so clearly uh, i really respect uh, uh, president ramaphosa's analysis uh but we have to go a step further in terms of you know our our our, our, um, our, our discontent with the manner in which uh, the western world treats africa we have to have a collective africa working together to rebuff you know those imperialist practices of the west in particular the united states of america
5: Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, question was imposed. Why was the West refused our Africa to make its own vaccine? From your perspective, should the question be why Africa can't make its own vaccine? No response. As you know, um, thank you, Brother Africa.
2: As you know, for um the entire pandemic since the Pfizer and Moderna um, discoveries were made, I had urged both Pfizer and Moderna to soften their intellectual, intellectual property rights and to do just what the South African president wants, what Egypt, Senegal, and other countries that have the technology have the pharmaceutical companies there to allow them to produce their own vaccines rather than importing them from the United States or Europe. So it's not that they're going to create a new vaccine. They simply want to be able to produce it on the continent. They have the pharmacologists, the chemists, all the talent. Now, what had happened recently was that Pfizer suggested that they send their own little mini labs and allow uh, the Africans to work in those. But that's not what the African countries are asking for. They're asking for the right to use their pharmaceutical labs that exist on the continent to use their labs with the softening of the intellectual property rights by both of these companies to allow them to produce the vaccine without any penalty or criminal repercussions or other intellectual repercussions. And I think the reason they're refusing is the profits that they make exporting these dosages of the vaccine abroad. And it's been an ongoing battle that uh, the World Health Organization has asked. other the the citizens of the United States have asked. Please, the taxpayers paid for the creation of the vaccine. Please allow for it to be produced in the pharmaceutical lab that exists on the continent right now. And there's been an out-and-out refusal by, by big pharma
5: to allow that to happen. Brother Moses, talk to me. Who are you on this, Brother Moses? What's your thoughts?
6: Yeah, yeah, this is a situation that um you know, if politics determines economics and, you know, we gotta get politically organized and we gotta look to Cuba and uh, they've got at least five vaccines they produced, uh since this outbreak occurred and um and certainly we gotta look we gotta get the, um there is a new a new alignment uh, one thing that's happening with all the sanctions on russia and all this different things is it's kind of a new alignment of the third world countries are kind of uniting uh um around uh, anti imperialist stance and um uh, and um so that's that's the good news at least. Um uh, but um these the vaccine I mean, you know, like I said they should be they should be uniting with uniting with, uniting with real friends to fight real enemies. And uh, and um uh, you know, we we should be trying to keep politics in command and look look to look to the 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 people who the US uh, put all the sanctions on it, and that, that's a key right there that there's something going on if they've got to sanction everybody. Um, but uh, even I, I think even Biden's man is talking about messing with Venezuela and the oil over there or something. Uh, so the situation is constantly changing. Thank you.
5: Thank you, both, uh, Brother Moses, and we're going to Brother Anthony as we talk about just recently responding to this uh, documentary we just listened to, Brother Anthony, on the issue of this question of Africans having the right to uh, produce and make their own vaccine in Africa. The question was posed that why the West is choosing our Africa to do their own vaccine. Is that the key question? Or should the key question be why Africa can't make its own vaccine. Is your response, Brother Anthony, to that phenomenon
8: Yes, uh, certainly. Um, unfortunately, I I didn't catch that do, uh, that documentary that y'all just listened to. But uh, in terms of uh, why Africa uh, cannot produce, uh, you know, its own vaccine, I, it could if I'd, it it had access to the technology. And uh, it's a similar phenomenon to why Africa is not a manufacturer of the goods and services that it needs. It's primarily a lack of uh, access to the technology. As Sister Eleonora pointed out, uh, you know, uh Africans are being denied access to the technology even though it is a pro- producer of a lot of the raw materials that are necessary. And uh let's see and uh that can only come when uh when Africa gets sufficiently united and uh can make demands uh, from the imperialists uh you know for uh you, you know for the goods and services um, you know that uh uh our labor at home and in the diaspora makes possible and mm-hmm. uh you know and I think that is uh that is uh, a key dilemma uh is that africa is currently fragmented into uh fifty four uh uh powerless uh you know uh entities that cannot even defend themselves uh from attacks uh, from uh from enemies let alone uh, make demands uh, for a fair price for his goods and services.
5: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Panelists, let's make the transition to, as we stated earlier, we're going to talk about what's going on in your world the community. We're going to bring you in right now, Brother Hacky. What's going on in your world in the community?
3: Uh, brother, uh, uh, brother Africa. One of the things you know, I think that we have to be very cognizant of is the whole question around the structural reality in terms of what it means to be uh, 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 a capitalist system. Uh, oftentimes, you know, um, when we talk about capitalism, we don't understand the relation between capitalism and imperialism is all of a part of a broader structure in terms of making sure the underdevelopment or the exploitation of the world. In that context, one of the things is very, very ironic is when you talk about leaders, leaders will never acknowledge you know, that these structural imperfections are not only uh, uh, doomed to failure in the long term, but in fact, as these structural of, of the, the maladies manifest themselves, uh, there's a hesitance among the, the, the rulers, the elite, to actually, to actually acknowledge that these changes are taking place. Because one of the things in order to, to obscure, to, to hide these changes taking place, uh, these leaders paint this rosy picture that everything's going to be all right. But behind the scenes, they know everything is not going to be okay. And of course, the implication has very ominous, uh, ominous implications for society. Because inevitably, what happens is that uh, the population at large becomes scapegoat for inefficient system. But in any anyway, event, Brother Africa, I think it's important that I talk a little bit about terms of the structural melodies as it relates to imperialism and some of the real real dangers impacting uh, 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 people who, not just in America, but throughout the world. And it's important that people be aware of this. But anyway, I want you to check this out, Brother Africa. Now, Pax Americana, the policy that embraces the U.S. right to control and direct global events, was evident when the U.S. coerced the U.N. to investigate Ethiopia for alleged abuses from the current conflict between the government and the Tigray Defense Force. And viewing the statistical breakdown, 27 nations opposed the move, 66 nations supported it, and 39 nations abstained. These numbers reveal the, pow- the, the powerful influence of the U.S. might is waning. Because if you stop and think about it, it's just five years ago, we've had close to 95% of, part of the countries actually going along with the U.S. mandate. The mere in fact that increasingly, more and more states are saying, I'm saying that we're not going to be guided by the nose. Uh, Speaks speak volumes in terms of the kind of influence that once was so prevalent uh, in terms of uh, America's America's might is now is now not as potent as it was historically. So that's a good thing, that people are beginning to embrace the idea that there's a necessity uh, of some real change globally in terms of you know politics. Now, with the emergence of China, Russia, and others, the economic Trust threats. Once effective in obtaining compliance among states, has been weakened by states that represent an alternative in trade and investments. Ethiopia, a longtime supporter of U.S. interests, now proclaims its autonomy despite U.S. military intervention in Ethiopia. Lemlem Minali, an Ethiopian ambassador, was adamant when she said Ethiopia would not abide by this shameless attempt to use politics to advance an agenda to undermine Ethiopia's independence. Munale's view was, was validated when it was revealed the UN Rights Commission disclosed both sides of this atrocity in this conflict committed abuses. So why investigate one side? There is no doubt U.S. expenditures to support the UN gives it a, a disproportionate amount of leverage over over the UN. Twenty two percent of funds to finance the UN comes from, to finance the UN comes from the U.S. However, this leverage does not appreciate global changes taking place and the emergence of a new world order. Political opponents who were confident of a unipolar world after the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1991, a world in which U.S. hegemony or dominance would prevail, certain no one other country would rise to compete with the U.S., were hard-pressed to understand the emergence of China and Russia in global affairs. It can be argued capitalist greed facilitated the rise of China through the World Trade Organization mechanism, and the most favored nation status, ensuring, ensuring investments and transferring manufacturing plants abroad to enhance profits for capitalists. But the real catalyst for China's emergence was its, was, its, was its establishment of a different political paradigm. China, unlike the US, would actually use its capital or its money in benefit of the people of China. As a result, China was able to lift 800 million people out of poverty in, in a pace unknown in human history. In addition, Central planning increases China's global wealth, increasing the U.S. global wealth in 2014, was stood at 18% according to the International Monetary Fund. Alvin Subramanian, an economist, stated, based on purchase power parity or the competitive value of competing currencies, China is the leading economic power in the world. Even though this information is ubiquitous, available far and wide, U.S. political leaders insist the outdated logic of Pax Americana is still valid leaving no doubt pursuit of its objectives in the face of economic decline is still achievable. Defenders of the status quo vehemently defend the longevity of American domination and the drive for an unipolar world headed by the U.S. Former President Barack Obama chimed, quote, anyone who tells you America is in decline don't know what they're talking about, end quote. Oddly enough, Pax Americana was predicated on preventing other states from rising and challenging America's authority. Currently, both China and Russia challenges U.S. domination and as such represent not a unipolar world, but a multipolar world. In other words, the U.S. ability to control or direct the economic political narrative globally has to compete with other narratives around trade, investment, and the sharing of technology. In this context, conflict is inevitable. Unfortunately, the precedent established by Pax Americana in part includes force. Use of military force can be very expensive. In fact, one of the reasons Nixon Abandon the gold standard was the cost of the lost war in Vietnam. Had Nixon not abandoned gold to back dollars, debt would have rendered the U.S. government insolvent. So, so why then would government, so President Biden push for increased funds for military spending? Currently, President Biden is seeking $813 billion in military spending, up from $728 billion three months ago. Without doubt, the ruling class will benefit from military spending by purchasing stocks and bonds, but what about the real economy most citizens depend on? The courteousness or instability of working in and poor people has been increasing for over 40 years in the U.S. Recently, the Commerce Department revealed corporations have been increasing prices on consumers since the pandemic. Rising food, energy, and transportation costs continue to skyrocket, and corporate profits have rose 25% despite the pandemic. Profits rose from 2.2 trillion to 2.8 trillion in less than a year, despite workers wa- and worker wages and salaries remaining flat or actually declining. The point being, spending on the military would not stop the emergence of a multipolar world. It is already here. Money spent on the military could be used for infrastructure, rebuilding factories, or the basic income to stimulate the economy. The level of inequality in the U.S. most likely will continue to increase. Looking at the total national income of the U.S. Fifty percent of all the income of the U.S. comes from dividends and interest payments. This means 10 percent of the population benefits at the expense of 90 percent of the population. Those without assets are essentially locked out of the U.S. economy. Obtaining the basic necessities to live should not be relegated only to the well-to-do, but the poor as well. Without the essentials to live, government relegates the poor into into conditions that embodies maximum strife leading to rage. What happens to society when this rage is expressed outwardly? And i souls close with that, Brother Africa.
5: Right, thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Afni, what's going on in your world and the community, Brother Afni?
8: Um A friend of mine uh, shared an interesting article about the role that Zionist forces are playing in supporting uh neo Nazis in Ukraine. And uh that is furthering the oppression of uh of the uh, uh 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 that uh the Ukrainians are suffering as a result of the Russia Ukraine war. And the fact that the uh that the the the, the right uh uh neo Nazi forces In Ukraine, uh, enjoy heavy support from the forces of Zionism, Uh, and uh, this is an unseen aspect of the conflict uh, that the mainstream imperialist-controlled media is not reporting on. Also. uh the uh the palestinians are, are 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 maintaining their struggle to fight for control of their land and for the right to return to palestine so uh you know and uh like i said this is being overshadowed in the us by uh uh the conflict going on in Europe. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and thank you to K
5: history. If I will find out that, looking at the history of Zionism, the it Plays, and the movements of are in Europe, you will see that hand all over Europe. It's insufferable. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Let's move to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what you have for us today? What's going on in your world and the community? Sister Eleanor. Well,
2: Brother Africa, I see... Uh just an incredible conflict um, building and growing in Europe right now as a result of the um, Ukrainian conflict. NATO, as Brother Haki said, NATO really shouldn't have existed uh, after 1991 because the purpose of NATO was to protect the United States against the former Soviet Union, which hasn't existed for decades. So the fact that we continue to fund NATO and to expand NATO is an act of aggression that must be addressed. And the idea of having the Ukraine become a NATO nation on the border of Russia is akin to the Cuban Missile Strike uh, crisis of the 1960s, only worse. So, Brother Africa, right now, I see the world not even able to pay attention to increasing oil production based on expanding and utilizing the spanish sahara pipeline to spain or utilizing as uh, we did in the early 20th century uh venezuelan oil came to the united states to heat the homes of poor americans who could not afford heating oil with joe kennedy uh when caesar chavez Uh, took office some 23 or more years ago. So, Brother Africa, I see there being a great deal of misinformation and uh, uh, people just not having the opportunity to know what is going on and what the reason some of the uh, things that are affecting global life Uh, how they came to be, and what function they were intended to serve versus what's happening today. And um, right now, I have to go back to the softening, uh, the proprietary information by Moderna and Pfizer. I see that as being essential. Uh, Several African countries have stood up, They say we have the pharmaceutical facilities in our country. If you simply release the information, proprietary information, they have it. They just don't want to break the law in using it. They're just asking that Pfizer and Moderna make it accessible, and they'll produce their own vaccines. We also see, Brother Africa, that Cuba is about to assist the Haitians where only 1.4 of the population has been vaccinated. Cuba is about to assist the Haitians um, by administering the Cuban vaccine in Haiti. Let's hope that they have the syringes and resources to do so. Uh, With the U.S. veto power, many Americans are unaware that housing is a human right that one in four women and children will be sexually assaulted and violently abused in their li- lifetime, one billion people, or that the Zionist state is being held up by our tax dollars. So, Brother Africa, I see right now the situation being letting the proprietary information for the vaccine be made available to whomever can produce the vaccine. I see um, addressing the issue, humanitarian issues in Afghanistan, uh, Yemen, Somalia being paramount. I see us needing to step away from Saudi Arabia with this aggression using U.S. weapons to attack the people of Yemen. And I think that uh, we need to support Syria in stopping the Israeli expansion in the Golan Heights and the U.S. expansion in the oil fields of Syria. We need to move away from our dependency on fossil fuel. And what's fueling this crisis is the greed of the big petroleum companies. So that's what's going on in my world. We need to see some change. We need solar. We need wind, geothermal. We need other things, not just um, trying to isolate Mother Russia. The one thing about Russia, Putin's, isn't trying to make them pay in rubles now. He's just asking when the next payments are due from the EU that they pay in rubles. And certainly a sovereign nation has the right to demand payment for its resources as it sees fit. Fit to me, Brother Africa.
5: Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Let's go to Brother Moses. Talk to us, Brother Moses. What's going on here? We're in the community.
6: Well, well, we need an independent scientific viewpoint, a worldwide viewpoint that is scientific and independent of of the, the bourgeoisie and the ruling classes ideologues. And uh, you know, right now it would be really relevant if if people were were brush up on um a, a pamphlet that came out in the early 1960s about Khrushchev's phony communism and it, its its historic lesson to the world's people put out by the Chinese Communist Party and um you know understanding that situation then and how how it applies to what's going on in the world today and um and um you know because you know Socialism in the world imperialism in indeed was a real phenomena, and um, Mao pointed it out and you know courageously. And, and it took till 1990s before the Soviet Union actually collapsed. But uh, the seeds were there, and people were aware of it, and had to be armed. You have to arm the masses with the truth, and uh, the truth is the only thing that that's, that's going to really be able to overcome the the forces of evil who are basing their whole campaign about a lie. I I I think it was last night. I believe it was was um, Trump was in in Michigan uh, having a rally and uh, it was carried over the Newsmax. I believe on cable television and uh, he was still saying he won the election by landslide and. I mean, these people are eating it up, eating it up, eating it up. And so we've got some real, a real, real work to do uh, because we have to win over the hearts and minds of the people if we're going to really be successful in terms of real, true, true revolution. And I'll just leave it right there. Um, thank you.
5: Thank you, Brother Moses. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat as we define it. We're going to stand behind it. We're talking about what's going on in your world community. We're going to take a station break, a and culture break. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion. We'd like to have you to involve yourself in this discussion by calling 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move.
4: but in the sacrifice of this blood of this dance with death comes life more rich more pure more alive where death has spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral waiting for someone to die palerino a french word called the place of torture became a place of strength a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods
9: Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
9: yeah, yeah, yeah. A negative
8: attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian,
9: noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity
8: and some of the root causes for our problem of identification.
0: I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are safe that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. You go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards under Europe or Europeans. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed, not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look under Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent it, itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes.
5: We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa. Our theme tonight is part two, South America and the World, from Kamasua. We'll be discussing it shortly, but right now we want to return back to our earlier segment on what's going on in your world and the community. We'd so best, best like to ask our political panelists, I'm just real curious, just listen to one of the songs during our rubber stir break. If you had all the, all the money in the world, what would you do with it? Even though it would make you a capitalist, a peerless, it would make you a explorer, a killer, it would make you all kinds of things against humanity. What would you do with that money, Sister Eleanor, if you had all the money in the world?
2: Right now, Brother Africa, if I were in the position of the top 20 wealthiest people on the planet, 10 of whom live in China, nine in the United States and one in India, I would uh, address the issue right now of world hunger the the issue affecting the people in Yemen, Afghanistan and other places. So I would address the issue of uh of uh famine and also in terms of technology brother Africa. I've worked towards the greening and the salvation and conservation of mother earth. Um upcycling materials such as plastic bottles and other materials to make clothing and reuse and to develop new polymers that uh, will not take 500 years such as the current plastics we're using to bio disintegrate, you know. So I would want to clean the planet Earth. I would have a major campaign to... Advance women and children on planet Earth. And I would actively work to educate people in the United States as to the UN and the role that the U.S. plays in the UN and to let people know, for example, that 183 countries would like to see the embargo against Cuba lifted. Uh, the fact that uh, I would assist Cuba with vital—whether uh, uh, I've had to set up of uh, international offshore corporations to assist them with medical issues such as respirators and uh, syringes. So you know, it's a, it's a big wish list. Um, the main thing is health to improve the quality of health in the United States and to take the healthcare system away from big pharma and put it back in the hands of people and try to address the issue of uh, cancer, dental hygiene, um, autoimmune diseases. Uh, this kind of thing, whether it's lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, whatever it is, to begin to address those issues. And right now, Brother Africa, with the new BA.2 variant expecting to surge in two weeks, I would hope to help all those uh, who were interested in learning and educating themselves and being vaccinated to be vaccinated.
5: Go out there. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Come and talk to me, Haki. If you had all the money in the world, how would you use it, Brother Haki?
3: Uh, I would do two things simultaneously. Uh, first, on an on an on a national level, I think one of the things I would do is create institutions throughout this country, uh, in the cities, specifically uh, dealing with um, um, learning to play an instrument, African history, and math. So three of those days will be focusing on African history and math, and two days on the instrumental instruction. Because I think the conceptual uh, foundation, you know, you know, of children is so important. One of the things capitalism does, but specifically when it comes to African people, it destroys the intelligence of African children. So African children are surrounded by conditions would suggest that you might as well give up or the fact that you simply don't have the intellectual faculties to, to compete in society. And so to a large extent, we understand that when kids internalize these, these ideas, understand that these ideas are coming from a very system and which so many people love and admire. So clearly we have to devise means from a psychological point of view to rebuff or to, to, to mitigate those kind of influences. And I think we had those kind of institutions throughout the country in their cities in which we could uh, be able to children, too. They would do a long way in terms of eradicating that slave mentality that's so prevalent and then about people, unfortunately. I think on a global scale, I think uh, certainly one of the things, poverty is a big, big issue, and certainly that has to be addressed. I have no problem in terms of financing farmers throughout the world, if I could, with the stipulation that you would use the the proceeds to to grow the crops, to feed the population, not to make profit. If I find that you're making profit at the expense of the people, then the monies would be rescinded. So I think if we can have an agreement that listen, you don't have to worry about you know your, your, your living expenses, expenses in terms of the resources that you need in terms of doing your farming. All that we provide. The only thing I stipulate is that you provide the food, make sure there's no hunger in those countries, in the countries, through countries throughout the world. Um, so that's something that I would I would like to do. In addition to that, also particularly Africa, you know, um, not just exclude other countries. I think this is this is important for all countries. But I think specifically when you talk about the role of neocolonialism, I think one of the things we have to have, we have to have a criteria, some type of, uh, economic, uh, uh, some kind of economic instrument in place, uh, which, 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 which clarifies the history in terms of african day, I'm sure the African children growing up understand the objective political reality of the situation they're confronted with and understand why things exist as they are. Because without that clarity, one of the things that they have become vulnerable to all kind of manipulation. So I think so. The schools so by financing the schools, to stipulate that this kind of uh, criteria has to be imp, uh, uh, included in your curriculum. I think we'll go a far away in terms of distilling. I mean, or, or, or eliminating uh, this kind of um, um, colonial mentality that manifests itself on the continent. So, so I think those are things I would like to do if I had, if I had the money to do it. But hopefully. But the problem is, Brother Africa, if I have to resort to exporting people in terms of ruthlessly exporting people for it, I guess I would never get the money because one thing I'm not going to do is ruthlessly export anybody in terms of wealth. Because if I did that, I'm no different than the same people I could take week in and week out. So that I wouldn't do. But if I had come across that money because someone donated the money to me and I I could invest it for the purpose of doing those things I want to achieve, then certainly those are the things I I would certainly like to do.
5: Talk to me, the Hefner. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do with
8: it? I would donate it to all the Pan-Africanist organizations that exist at home and in the diaspora. And uh, let's see. And, uh, you know, because we need Pan-Africanism to bring about the liberation and unification Mm -hmm. of the masses of our people. And Mm -hmm. all the resources in the world belong to those who actually do the labor to extract those resources and convert them into finished products. So I would uh, – you know, if I was to uh, to acquire those resources, uh, and uh, uh, you know, that's how I would use them. I would donate them uh, to uh, to advance the uh, the cause of Pan Africanism, and because that would not be our contribution contribution to the world socialist movement. Sorry.
5: Oh, I'm sorry, Brother Anthony. Thank you. Brother Moses, your response, if you're all the the world, how would you use it? Well,
6: that's a good question. Uh, politics is being in command of economics, and so you want to be politically correct uh, and be a good steward in terms of allocating the resources around the planet. And so naturally... Um, People don't live off bread alone, but, uh, you need to educate people. And so certainly, uh, one besides actual food, um, there would be the, the books, um, Walter Rodney's, um, uh, book, uh, how Europe undeveloped Africa. Um, certainly Kwame Ture's uh, uh, speeches and stuff. Um, um, uh secretary Nkrumah N- C- N- um uh we we want to be people to be cognizant of what kind of world we're trying to create and and be actively participating in it daily so that as a revolutionary process is taking place um continuously uh revolutionizes and and gets and deeper and deeper into the hearts and minds of the people. And um, um it uh it takes it takes it takes uh, uh a lot of uh consciousness to really build socialism and uh and so it takes a revolutionary society and uh, and, and so we have to keep educating people as to what the reality is, uh, and I think you know that's that's the uh,
7: key.
6: I think um, um, that would be the key thing. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Brother Moses. You're listening, audience. You're listening to Brother Africa. This is Africa on the move. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we'll make a transition to our theme today, which is part two, South Africa and the World from Talasur. We'll come back with our brother Efty. He's going to lead us off as he discussed some articles that came out recently out of Talasur as relates to South America and the world. First article we like to discuss, the implication or what lessons can we get from the article that was titled Brazil, Former President Lula. More damages compensation. What could we learn from that and more? We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. This is Africa on the Move.
1: brother there's far too many of you that you know Love can't come to You know no. we've got to find a way no. To bring, bring some it. love and here today oh, oh, oh. Pick it black and pick it back Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see Judge us Oh, you know we you to find Bring from my love and here today Oh, oh, oh Pick it back And pick it back Don't punish me We're Come on, talk to me can.
5: We're like glad to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. Now we got transition to deal with that theme tonight, Part Two: South America in the World from Talasso. Some interesting articles uh, from this particular um, periodical, and one of those we would like to discuss tonight is the article that's titled "Brazil Former President Lula Ludo to Get More Damages Compensation." Brother Eftin lead us off when we read this article. Uh what was some of the most significant things that came from this article from your investigation of
8: it? Certainly. Um, Lula was uh was uh, was the victim of a political persecution. Uh, for his political beliefs and his work on behalf of uh, the masses of the people in Brazil. It turns out, uh, according to articles, article, that the lead investigator, um, you know, kind of like uh, made a spectacle of uh, the charges that Lula was accused of and um and as a result of that, Lula had to spend more time in jail than uh, than he should have had to because of this and uh you know and um uh let's see the lead uh prosecutor uh delton the Log law, the law grow, grow, um you know, he was the prosecutor in this case and uh he um uh you know, he sensationalized uh, uh the details, uh, you know, accusing uh Lula and just uh, falsely of associating associating with gangsterism and whatnot. And uh let's see, and the Supreme Court in Brazil agreed uh with the charges that uh, that were brought against DeLagro and uh awarded uh Lula a compensation for the uh persecution he suffered uh as, as a result and um uh you know the significance of this is that this is something that would not uh happen in uh in, you know in in, in the in, in the US system of uh of uh justice uh had it been her- uh happened to someone that was uh you know, working on behalf of the people. Uh, because um uh let's see, uh uh the US is aboutation of uh people's resources by any means necessary. And uh and uh you know, and if people get hurt in the process, so be it.
5: Thank you, Brother Efton. Brother Haki. one of the things in looking at this article that I think was very significant, I'd like to get your response, is the issue of uh, the courts have now freed him all on um, bogus charges where he also would become eligible to run for the upcoming election for Brazil. Uh, what is your take on this article?
3: Yeah, well, the whole motivation was to get Lula out of power to bring Bolsonaro into power, because of the level of corruption in brazil the the kind of corruption in brazil is is, is is astounding i mean it makes america look uh look progressive uh but in event uh so the the whole the whole uh, uh, the whole this is the whole justification behind charging Lula with corruption or bribery of selling you know state uh, state assets uh was concocted by by uh, by uh, this prosecutor, Delano, or De the log, the nor, and so. But, but the irony is that Brother Africa, but see, he, he didn't do this unilaterally. He worked he worked hand in hand with Judge Moyo in terms of putting this off. So we can say that there's a system, whole system in place to make sure that Lou was in fact, you know, jailed for 580 days. And so the whole purpose is that, and once he was once he was found guilty of those charges, then it disqualify him for future, you know, office. And so that was the whole that's a whole that's the whole plan So when we talk about the kind of institutional mm-hmm. corruption that was so 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 prominent in in Brazil uh, it, it harkens back to a situation where we had recently here in the United States where there's a simple similar amount of collusion in terms of uh, court officials uh, which I found you know family and that was the whole case around uh, remember a member of Colorado case remember that was a case in which the judge Judge Bruce Schroeder actually, he, when he ruled that the uh, that the the uh, the, the, prose, the the prosecutors couldn't use the word victim to describe those individuals who were killed, or those individuals who were assaulted by Rittenhouse. and he further he uh, he he continuously attacked the prosecutor's case, which is un, which is unknown of, and uh, so it was it was very interesting. So when we think about the kind of uh, immunity these court officials enjoy. Uh, clearly, in in, in America, uh, these guys can do pretty much anything they want to do and there are no repercussions at all. And clearly in America, the situation, we, the reason why the prosecutorial immunity is enjoyed is because they, the state wants these guys to be in a position to, to arbitrarily uh, 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 or carry out these cases uh, with the hopes of conviction or actually actually ensuring the conviction uh, by, any, by any means necessary. So these guys are free to use all kinds of scrupulous, you know, unscrupulous methods in terms of securing the conviction. One of, the most, one of the biggest ironies of all, when we talk about this whole question around prosecution immunity, is that when you, start, when you think about the fact that uh, information that could, could, that could exonerate an individual, information that uh, could, could demonstrate that the, the, the person's innocence, uh, prosecutors routinely hold that information. And unless you got deep pockets and you can afford a decent attorney uh, to discover, you know uh, what had transpired, you end up doing a lot of time in prison. So as a consequence. You got lots and lots of people in America in prison simply because they were too poor to afford a decent attorney. Uh, so clearly, brother Africa, so there is a real parallel between what happened to Lula in Brazil and the, 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 and, and the general functioning of the U.S. judicial system, you know, here, here in America. So clearly, um, you know, so what happened to Lula is unfortunate, but as long as you got corruption, as long as you got people you know, who, who 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 see capitalism, you know, as some kind of panacea. And you can anticipate more kind of injustices happening, you know, using the judicial system. Uh, so, unfortunately, you know, this is not going to decline; it's going to increase. And as capitalism um, uh, deconstructs, uh, we can be sh- we can be clear or sure that uh, the, the the level of travesty committed by these prosecutions prosecutors are actually going to increase. And I close with that.
5: Thank you, Lord This is Eleanor, talk to me. What you take from this article?
2: Well, one of the, the great things about the article was, as uh, Brother Anthony said, it uh, allows Lula to uh, be eligible to run in upcoming elections. And as you know, in Brazil, unlike here. Uh, The people have taken action against Bolsonaro for his human rights violations and how he allowed so many citizens to die from the coronavirus by refusing to believe that it existed and uh, suggesting sitting at the table with President Donald Trump, uh, both of them hand in hand together at news conference saying it was a host and there was nothing to be concerned about. It was little more than the flu. So uh, this article was great in that it allowed the former president of Brazil to have the opportunity to run for public office. Whether or not he can gain the resources necessary to do uh, cannot be revealed from the article. But at least it the reality of having a legitimate candidate, presidential candidate, or um, having a legitimate leader uh, on the ballot in Brazil is quite wonderful.
5: Thank you, Sister Alonor. Uh, Brother Moses, talk to me. What do you learn from the lunar situation?
6: Well... Let's see now. This Lula I've always been kind of uh attracted to him, uh, in terms of his politics. Uh, uh he seems to be progressive, uh I uh, know democracy I now has had him featured many times and uh you know, he's being persecuted, uh, because he's left he has left views in terms of empowering the people and uh and you know this article attempts to show show how he was Unjustly unjustly uh persecuted uh, um, i i think that's the gist of it really uh uh i like i said i i, I i've learned to uh, em, embrace his politics, and uh, I hope that that he his, he he's vindicated by the the uh, the ruling. Thank you.
5: Thank you, brother Moses. Let's make our transition to a second article from Talashua. They talk about what's going on in Venezuela, economically, politically. Now, many times we never talk about victories, but giving the hostility that Venezuela is dealing with as it comes to the U.S. blockade and their hostile policy towards them. Uh, there was an article written titled Venezuela Economy Grows Despite Eternal Blockade. To start out with your brother Haki, what victories can we say that is taking place in Venezuela That uh, not only good for the people of Venezuela but good for those who are on the progressive side of the world?
3: Oh, the, 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 well, well, the victory is that it's, it's good that it's it, Venezuela. You know, sort of underscores just how much could be achieved if you use the money for the benefit of the masses of people. So in Venezuela, we simply talk about a disposable income of uh, we talk about uh, revenues of that like 1.7 billion dollars U.S. dollars, and so to use that money in terms of bringing about you know really tremendous gains when we talk about you know increasing food supply. Uh, you know, uh, it speaks volumes in terms of, you know, just how effective they were in terms of utilizing the money they had. Now, and despite, you know, in, despite, you know, the, the, the numerous blockades imposed on Venezuela, because, of course, you remember that the, uh, the U.S., along with the U.K. and the European, uh, European Union, have been imposing tremendous blockades, uh, illegal blockades of debt against Venezuela. In the case of the U.K., we talk about the U.K.'s refusal to, to give uh, the Venezuelan government back its gold. Uh, so clearly, there have been all kinds of means in terms of undermining the economy. And despite these attempts to undermine Venezuela's Venezuelan economy, uh, Venezuela has been doing a very good job in terms of actually not only providing for the people, but actually getting their economy going in a positive direction. And that's a direct testament to the kind of um, social, socialist principles employed by the Venezuelan leadership in terms of their commitment to their people, and that's, that's admirable. But what's probably more important brother African and more, probably more impressive is the like fact that you talk about an inflation rate of 2%. In a country like the U.S., we talk about inflation rate over like 8.3%, and you ask yourself, why there's so much inflation rate? Well, clearly, inflation can be tied to the fact that you got a very small percentage of the people controlling all the assets of the land who have no responsibility, who have no concern about the inspiration, aspirations of the masses of people. In else in in their in, their, in their frame in their frame of mind, it doesn't matter, you know, uh, you know, what you know, uh uh, uh how much the people in society suffer. Because for them what is primary is, is, is to make profit at an expense. And it com and of course in the process of making that profit, then you you, you, you put into place uh a, you know, outrageous inflation rate. And this is super, this, is, now this is inflation rate. It's possible simply because you got a government in place that willingly uh, not only print up the money to give to wealthy people for the purpose of buying of all these assets, but you also have these, uh, these, these, these economic policies in place where that wealth is not taxed by the state. And so, 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 so that, and so in other words, you got a situation in the United States where, where inflation is destined to increase. And unfortunately, as in, in creation, in, inflation increases, uh, the, the, the ability for the, for the average person in terms of being able to get the things they need, like food, shelter, and so forth and so on, those things are very, very difficult to obtain. And so they have to make very, very, um, very uh, difficult choices whether to eat or whether to pay the rent. So this is, this is, this is absurd. But in, in the case of Venezuela, and so when you talk about 2% inflation rate, then you talk about people actually using the money, not for the purpose in terms of actually profiting at the expense of the people, but using that money in a manner in which you get things done. And so the, the low inflation that does increase is an actual result of, you know, actual business activity taking place, in which in order to in order to ensure that those 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 business activities take place, uh, there has to be a certain amount of uh, 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 exchange, a certain amount of give and take in terms of funds, and so that's going to have some that's going to create some inflation. But two percent is outstanding, so that means that these that the Venezuelan women people are actually doing the work of the people, and it's reflected in the economy. So when we look at the inflation rate in the United States and look at 8.3% and that's why, then we got to fundamentally understand the American government, American system of capitalism is not concerned about the overall functioning of the economy and more concerned with the empowerment of the wealthy at the expense of all others. Venezuela is the opposite. It is concerned about the masses of people, use the resources of the land to benefit the people and it's reflected in a low interest rate. So not close to that. Uh, thank you, Brother Haki. You
5: know, Brother Anthony, Um, One of the things uh, when you look at this article and you want to talk about a country that valued the concept of human rights, I think it can be viewed in this context when you look at this particular uh, fact where it stated that in 2021, food supply grew by 69% compared to 2017. And 60% of private companies increased their sales. The Polaroid government granted 500,154 dwellings to vulnerable fit, um, families. So when you talk about this question as human being, one of the things should be the right to um, have, have housing, then the dwellers seem to be um, doing an excellent job in terms of looking at their surplus and sending it directly in areas to ensure that at
8: least the people had uh,
5: basic needs your uh, response to that, Brother Anthony.
8: I think your observation is accurate, Brother Africa. Uh I think I think the fact that uh, that uh in spite of the blockades imposed by imperialism that uh Venezuela's economy is growing is a reflection of the fact that uh 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 one thing is uh planning and also the fact that it prior prioritizes uh the masses of working people over uh you know uh you know uh you know the uh uh the the uh the games by the capitalists and um uh, uh people should keep in mind that uh that Venezuela is a contested zone still and what i mean by that is that the economy is still controlled uh by uh, a a a small sector of uh of its population uh the venezuelan bourgeoisie but uh you know with uh but uh through the efforts of the people uh let's see uh Venezuelans are getting control of their own resources uh gradually uh you know in spite of blockade, and that is a reflection of the fact that it has been able to form relationships with other countries of the south and uh diversify its economy t- to a certain degree
0: okay
5: thank you and eleanor what can you draw from the fact that it states that non-traditional exports increased by 76 percent and hotel occupancy rose to 94 percent what can you draw from those those facts as it relates to their Economic improvement situation.
2: Uh, that, uh, the 76% uh, non-traditional export increase was phenomenal, and the uh, hotel occupancy rose to the 94% as you said, brother Africa. And the inflation rate held steady at 2%, and tax collections. Increased 120 percent. This is uh, extremely good news for the Venezuelan people, in spite in spite of uh, President Biden's sanctions against Russia, uh, Venezuela, Colombia, and Cuba, because in the during the Donald Trump years, uh, going up into 2020, it was havoc in um, in Venezuela. We saw uh, 300,000 Venezuelans wanting to come uh, to the United States, as well as many fleeing to Colombia. So what we see is that uh, the government uh, did something very important, and that is uh, they worked to educate the people, to let them know the impact of the uh, sanctions and the effect it was having on the people of Venezuela. Now, despite uh, achievements, the economy is still feeling the effects of 500 unilateral uh Coerced um, measures that have existed since 2014, in addition to those that uh, just this year uh, with the sanctions against the Soviet Union in February, as I said, they were intended to also affect Venezuela, Colombia, and, and Cuba. So we can see that Venezuela is holding steady. It's been uh, 23 years since Hugo Chavez's uh, first victory, and we see that the current vice president uh, and the judicial system is working to, um, um, like with Alex Saab, um, you know, he was trying to bring food and medicine to certain rural areas in 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 Venezuela, and he was charged as a criminal now this was a violation of the sovereignty of Venezuela, but that that really wasn't discussed in the article. The most impressive thing is the one point um, seven billion dollars in the oil production and the fact that the food supply grew so much, and that was the main problems in 2016, 2017, was the lack of food, food shortages, shortages of vital things, whether it's toilet paper or, you know, just daily products. So we see that that's somehow being handled. And uh, Chevron, to trade Venezuelan oil, uh, if the U.S. blockade relaxes, is probably good news also. And we have to remember that prior to 2014, some years before, in the early 21st century, again, that Hugo Chavez and the Venezuelan people working with Joe Kennedy provides fuel, crude oil, for the citizens of the United States to heat their homes and fuel their communities, not for the corporate America, but for the people. So uh, all in all, this is uh, very um, productive news, and the um, to relieve some of the artificial food crises, the the, the created famine, and to allow capital to circulate is very important. To stabilizing the economy and reinforcing the Venezuelan people's uh, concerns that uh, they stay in Venezuela and there's no reason to, to migrate anywhere. The people that were attempting to leave uh, Venezuela were members of the ruling class, the petty bourgeoisie, not the workers themselves. So we see the infrastructure improving as well as the half a million units of housing. And when Venezuela talks about uh, creating housing, Brother Africa, it doesn't mean a roof over your head and no equity in your home. It operates very much like Trinidad and other, other countries where the, the Native people are allowed uh the land and resources to build and own homes and that is what happened in venezuela so that's a phenomenal thing and it's a model for the u.s to emulate where we do not even recognize housing as a human right and we have millions laying on the street and underhoused in this country so Um, It was very encouraging, and that 2% inflation rate was very good. The concern, though, is that artificial pricing of crude oil that both Bolivia, as we talked about last week, was dealing with. You don't need to deal with the world market uh, conditions for the price of oil domestically. You should have a domestic program that provides the needs of the citizens and, and not one that fosters the interests of the corporations. So I think it's uh, overall um, sounds very encouraging and the Venezuelan people uh, continue to move towards democracy and uh, uh, a people's government. That's a beautiful thing. And they stand in solidarity with Cuba, Colombia, and other progressive nations.
5: Thank you, so much, Brother Moses. Come and talk to us. What you bring, what you bring, uh, take from this article.
6: Mm. Yeah, I've been kind of out of it the last 30 seconds.
5: Seconds or so um, um, on. No. no problem, brother We we'll Let's go ahead and get yourself together, and we will continue down this road as we go to this next article that comes from Tyler Sewell. It's really interesting. This article has a different narrative in terms of who is responsible for this confrontation between Russia and Ukraine. The article is titled, U.S. Political Scientists." Blame West for Ukraine crisis. I wonder why, brother Hackey. Why do scientists blame the West for Ukraine, for for Ukraine crisis? What is your take on this one, brother Hackey?
3: Well, any, any, anyone who's been following the history uh, of that region uh, knows the kind of um, uh, the the complicity involved uh, between U.S. in term and, and Ukraine in terms of what's currently going on. One of the things was there was an agreement given um, between the u s uh, james former secretary James Baker uh, under the Bush administration and Russian officials. There was a guarantee uh there was a commitment that uh, uh, nato uh, two things uh nato would would not seek to uh, involve others in the, form of, the former the Soviet union those former states of the Soviet union would not be approached to become part of nato and secondly that um, uh, the NATO as an organization would not expand eastward toward the Russian border. Of course, both of those stipulations, both of those guarantees were 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 uh, were uh, were not were not practiced. uh You had a situation with the 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 U.S. under auspices of NATO did exactly what it promised it wouldn't do. And of course, when you, anytime you have a very hostile power uh like the U.S. Uh, that has historically been very clear that it sees Russia as the enemy. So anytime you have a superpower like that, you know, u- utilizing a third party for the sole purpose in terms of not just to provoke but potentially to attack a nation, then of course it's going to create some kind of insecurity. Uh, Russia, like any state, you know, has, wants to wants, wants to survive. And so therefore, so, so by, you know, by, uh, you know, enticing uh, Ukraine to become part of NATO, Arming and financing Ukraine, uh, it's it, it, it sending a, a very bad signal to Russia. And the whole point is that if the U.S. would simply abide by those agreements that were earlier stipulated, that the U.S. wouldn't, wouldn't, ex, wouldn't expand later, then one of those numbers would be an issue. The issue around Ukraine, in term, the, uh, not Ukraine, but the issue around Crimea in terms of people's desire to be part of Russia, or the Donbass region in Donetsk, where people want to be part of Russia, but the stipulation was that listen, Ukraine is Ukraine is part. I mean, Crimea is part of Russia, but as far as uh, Luhansk and uh, Donetsk, the issue is that they will remain part of of uh, Ukraine, with the stipulation that these people will be able to practice their culture and their tradition, which is Russian, and so. But it would it would interfere with Ukraine's sovereignty. Well, of course, the U.S. uses a pretext to get Zelensky, the president of, of Ukraine. You know to you know to essentially you know uh, antagonize you know, the Russian leadership, and this, this kind of antagonism sort of intensified. You know when U.S. started uh, sending military hardware into Ukraine for the sole purpose of quote unquote to defend itself. Of course, you're not understanding that this whole call sending weaponry to Ukraine has nothing to do with, the, with Ukrainians defending themselves. It has more to do with provoking Russia in hopes that Russia would expend huge expenditures for military purposes. To hopefully undermine the Russian economy, but of course the history is very clear on that point. The United States did that before. That's why the former Soviet Union collapsed because they spent too much money, you know, trying to keep up with the United States in terms of military expenditures. And so the Russians learned a lesson. They're not going to repeat that mistake again. So, but nonetheless, the U.S. are, con- are convinced that they can utilize Ukraine to f- compel Russia to engage in more de- military spending to drain drain this economy. It's not going to work. But of course. Uh, the u.s is going to try it anyway uh and now so we have a situation now um, because of the ukraine russia situation uh you know uh the the world the the world's economy is in disarray so we talk about rising energy prices which contribute to rising uh transportation prices which can contribute to rising food prices all this stuff is going to have a devastating impact on the world uh so clearly uh you know all this could be avoided if the units were to abide by the agreements that it is stipulated you know, um, back in back in the back uh, in back in the nineties, but it didn't like 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 I guess like um, the uh, like the 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 indigenous population here, uh, you know, in America, uh, never trust these people. I mean, when they tell you something, don't believe it. And in the case of Ukraine, is another example of the kind of deceit which is so much farther, you, so much a part of U.S. foreign policy. In my year, uh, the statement,
5: they often say capitalism doesn't last some of the time, it lies all the time, and there seems to be a continuation of this. Uh, but, Brother Anthony, you know, one of the things when we look at this uh, situation is that you see the complexity of these difficult kind of relationships countries have among and between each other. Now, one of the things this article brings out is the difficulties of trying to isolate Russia economically while her and herself. Will you talk about this issue of why the EU is worried uh, about cutting off um, the energy that comes from Russia? Uh,
8: Well, uh, Europe is very heavily dependent upon uh, the fossil fuels that it gets uh, from Russia and uh because uh your Western Europe, especially, does not have many of those resources uh which is uh, w- uh one of the factors that it fueled that fueled uh its exploitation of the resources of the world was the fact that uh, a lot of the resources that it depends on for its wealth comes from other parts of the world, including Russia. And um, getting those resources from other areas of the world would, uh, would pose an additional expense and strain the economies of these uh countries, so that's why they don't uh some countries are not willing uh, to to boycott russia's uh you know fuel supply entirely and uh, okay. so that is another dimension of that conflict.
5: Okay, and Sister Eleanor, when we look at this conflict, one of the things I also realize that comes from this conflict is that, um, seems to me that this question of the West saying they are targeting civilian populations, are uh, not true. See that this uh, based on this information, that the Russian forces are very um, conscious of trying to limit any kind of civilian deaths intentionally as relate relates to their confrontation uh, with Ukraine. Uh, will you speak to that issue, Sister Eleanor, based on your understanding from this article?
2: Well, um, quite frankly, um, you're right, Brother Africa, that Russia was not trying to uh, recreate the Soviet Union or to build a greater Russia. Russia's concern is its sovereignty. Now, when George W. Bush in 2008 decided that the Ukraine and the state of Georgia should become a part of NATO, that was outrageous. It was 17 or 18 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, at a time when NATO should have been being dismantled. But the uh, political scientists, who wrote this article, is also a professor I see at the University of Chicago, and he described this crisis as the uh, worst uh, crisis since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. He said, in his view, the Ukraine crisis is the most dangerous international conflict Since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, the West is now increasing aid to the Ukraine. And when when we increased aid, it wasn't medical and humanitarian relief. We were sending the Ukraine, making sure they had anti-missile, anti-tank, anti-aircraft weaponry. And the Ukraine itself was calling for a no-fly zone, which in effect would be a war, because what a no-fly zone means is that opposing forces take over the air. To have a no-fly zone, someone would have to enforce that, and that would be um, out-and-out war against Russia. This is an uh, outrage. We see nations that have not been militarized in our lifetime now becoming militarized. You see that Poland is expected to receive 15 planes from the U.S., including training for the use of those aircrafts for 10 years, and is expecting to surrender its air uh, force, military air force, to the Ukraine, and train the Ukrainians. So we just see this as the militarization of Eastern Europe. And with all that we know, this article says it's a danger. It's a. Uh, it's it's not only uh, the in late 2021, the West ignored Russia's conser- security concerns with intentions of including the Ukraine in NATO, which led led directly to the current war. That's the cause of the war. These are Russian, the Ukraine and Russia, the people share a common language. They share a border. It would be as if Russia occupied the Texas, Arizona, Nevada-California border, it it would be an act of war, an act of aggression. So quite frankly, uh, the only thing I can say is that NATO needs to be dismantled. It's uh, outrageous that in President Biden's budget, that the Defense Department budget, as you said, Brother Africa, went up. So many millions of dollars profiting from that, just the war machine. So uh, this is a a very dangerous situation. Um, Russia wasn't concerned about conquering new territory. It it really, really is not. It's concerned about, it appears to, from this article, it appears to be concerned
5: about its own sovereignty. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. To our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat Every redefine it. We're going to stand behind it. We're discussing part two, South America and the world from Tolisu. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a closer break. When we come back, we're going to... Have some announcements from Brother Hakeem Anthony, and then we have our final thoughts. And like always, you can catch us on our ways every Sunday evening, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Spread the word; we we'll want to increase our listenership, and the only way we can do that is to get you to help support us by spreading the word. Because we do want Africa on the move to become a vehicle. And houseware in every African home throughout the world. That's our mission. So we'll be right back here. listening, Brother Africa. And this is again Africa on the
10: move. <laughs> Ojo, no con armas, sino con conocimiento El intelecto emana de los foros Te metes en internet y lo ves en los foros esa sabiduría, aunque muchos locos Piensen que son habladurías Conojo primero a fondo la ciencia mía Para que después hablen como comadre Chismosa, yo te escribo en en el país de las maravillas, y estamos claro, te portan mal, te ativillan, que hacen papilla, es que eso es obvio, o eres ángel o eres demonio, ni ni niño, o eres ángel o eres demonio, quiero que a toda la gente con las manos arriba, donde están los latinos con las manos arriba, que vive el hip hop con las manos arriba, ¿Que? con las manos arriba, que viva la cultura con las manos arriba. Venezolan es todo lo que se en Venezuela No solo es un ritmo, escucha las letras Tan criollo como que te vean Y te digan que para que te choquen las manos Al final del día, dale, hablamos Y lo que más me alegra La gente latina siempre será gente negra Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga.
6: ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinque, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera.
5: That's right. Stop being a Buffalo soldier, and we're not going to let you forget that you're stolen from Africa and brought to the Americas, so you are still African. Don't you forget that. Welcome back to Africa on the move. and making that closing remarks before we do that. We do have some announcements we'd like to make, and we'll start out with Brother Anthony. We'll bring in Brother Anthony. The mic is yours.
8: Uh, Thank you, uh, Brother Africa. A couple of announcements. Um, uh, Let's see. uh, First, um, uh, let's see. uh, Next month, we will be commemorating African Liberation Day. Our theme this year is 64 years of African Liberation Day. We must intensify the revolutionary struggle against capitalism and imperialism, Zionism and neocolonialism. And for Pan-Africanism, one unified socialist Africa. Uh, You can find out more information by visiting our website, www.a-aprp. Dash gc dot org. While there, you can also purchase uh, Brother Bob Brown's uh, latest book. We demand the full disclosure and digitization of all slavery era records, volumes one and two, and uh, that uh, that gives uh, a lot of information about how we ended up in the situation we find ourselves today. For more information, please visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank
5: you, Brother Anthony and Brother Haki from the African Women Association. Uh, talk a little bit about why it's important for us to travel to Cuba and how can we do this.
3: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's, it's important that we, we travel to Cuba to see firsthand for ourselves how the society is organized. I think once we get there and we get an opportunity to actually observe and to talk to people in terms of, you know, their views in terms of, you know, problems peculiar, you know, to society, I think we, we will learn a great deal in terms of why Cuba is organized the way it is and it, the benefits to, to all of humankind. I think uh, one of the things, you know, when you think about terms of organization how important it is, Cuba sort of epitomizes just how important organization is. They have this structure called the, the Center for Defense of the Revolution or the Community Defense of the Revolution, uh, which is a community-oriented uh, organization which is geared toward those problems that are unique to the community in and in the community to come together to resolve those problems. And so you have these, these CDRs throughout the Cuban nation in terms of people working together in terms of specifically, to deal with those problems you need, you know, to the Cuban, Cuban people. So that kind of organization is key in terms of really being in a position to actually, you know, bring to bear, you know, any concerns that you may have or, or, or getting governments, you know, to bring about needed changes that you, that you perceive uh, society needing. Uh, so clearly we can learn a lot in terms of this kind of concept, this kind of energy, you know, um, you know by the Cuban people. Uh, now this trip is going to take place on July 23rd to July 31st. And we'll be leaving from Cancun, Mexico. Now, we visit, when in Cuba, we'll be visiting uh, Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. Now, for your pre-application form, we ask you to email us at African Awareness Association, or one word, number two, at gmail.com. That's African Awareness Association, one word, number two, at gmail.com. Or contact us at 804-549-7492, or early code. 202 714 Or we we'll go to our website and at wwwaaa cubatourscom That's wwwaaa cubatourscom And you also can email us at African Women Association, Inc., at P.O. Box 4433, Richmond VA 23220. And we encourage people to come firsthand and see for themselves what Cuba is all about, because as much we can learn from the Cuban experience, and and certainly when we talk about just the kind of contributions Cuba historically have made the African people, they are immeasurable. So you know, what can I say in terms of the the greatness of the Cuban people and their willingness to share and to sacrifice for the good of, good of humanity? That is a lesson I think we could really benefit from. So we encourage people to go firsthand. Forget about what anybody, what anyone says. See for yourself how Cuba's is organized what contributions it has to, it makes to to humanity and why it's necessary in terms of uh learning some of these uh some of these things are so key to our own uh, situation right here in America.
5: Thank you, Brother Haki. Again to listen to the audience, come and join us along with the African Women Association. It's a trip of your lifetime and you'll never forget it. So let's close out this program, part two, South America and the world from Telescope, Getting our final thoughts for tonight, we and we'll start off with our sister, Sister Eleanor. Start us off with your final thoughts for tonight. Well,
2: thank you, Brother Africa and listening audience. One, uh, Latin America consequences of the armed conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. We must also realize that this began in 2008 at the NATO summit in. Bucharest, when President George W. Bush administration was pushing for not only the uh, expansion of NATO, but in particular for the Ukraine and Georgia to become NATO members. Now, right now, as this war goes on, mainstream media media articles admit Russia is avoiding civilian casualties. And the U.S. D.I.A. analyst admits that the heart of Kiev has barely been touched. Almost all the long-range strikes have been aimed at military targets. And we also have to remember that Russia is a superpower. So if Russia, for sure, Russia's bombers could devastate the, U- the Ukraine, but uh, President Pushkin and the Russians are holding back. Here's why. This is a false conflict being promoted by the West. The the whole phenomenon that the, the article we read that uh, The Economist, a quasi-journal, published something uh, like this we we read tonight uh, Things can't be going As well for the Ukraine fascists And their imperialist US and British Sponsors uh, At least one uh, At least persons on this show And our listeners Realize that the US This is uh, uh, This that the real neo-colonialist plan uh, to dismember Russia and to bring down China is never going to happen without mutual
8: destruction
2: to the West. So this is something clearly uh, we should learn from this. And the fact that President Biden would impose these sanctions against Russia and South American and Caribbean countries is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, an outrage. Uh, it's, it's, it's not supporting democracy. So with that in mind, uh, brother Africa, I don't believe that the Russian bombers could not devastate Ukraine. But that is not the intention of the Russian people. Their sovereignty is what's most important. So um, I really enjoyed this evening's discussion. Um, I look forward to next week. And I hope everyone has uh, a great evening And uh, thank you so much. Oh, one other thing, about Africa, I didn't bring up earlier. One one quick thing. For the first time, Congress is considering a bill that would decriminalize marijuana nationally. That's a civil rights legislation because blacks are twice as more likely to be convicted of uh, marijuana abuses than their white counterparts, but the usage is the same, if not greater, amongst the whites. So uh, that's uh, almost a piece of civil rights legislation because they also would expunge, the, the bill calls for the expungement of the records of persons that have been charged with these marijuana offenses. It would undermine the prison industrial complex. It's really something that did happen uh, last week that I found quite phenomenal. And again, I just have to remind the listeners that not for a moment do I believe that the Russian farmers uh, could not, they could devastate the Ukraine, but are holding back because this is, war is not what,
5: the, the Russians were looking for. Thank you, my sister. And that's us go to brother Moses. We're going to bring you back in, brother Moses. Talk to us. Just give us your final thoughts for tonight, brother Moses. I right, wait for brother Moses
6: My to final thoughts. Oh, um, it's been interesting. Uh, I. Um, I've been a little bit under the weather, I guess, uh, but uh, I think you know my emphasis is to, is to study, 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 and uh, we we live we live in a world where it's possible to understand the problems of the world, and it's possible to to solve the problems of the world if we just put our minds to it, and uh, and uh, I think dialectical and historical materialism is, is the, the order of the day and that we should be looking at at, at the world's problems uh, historically and uh, uh, to understand them. This is, uh, this, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you.
5: Thank you, Moses. We hope you feel a little better and nothing be a failure but a try. So We thank you for what contribution that you have made today's program. And now we're going to move forward with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight,
8: Brother Anthony. My final thought for tonight is that uh, we must uh, continue to to study our history, educate ourselves, and join an organization that is working for people's liberation. Uh, is critically important that we be organized. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you for having me.
5: Thank you, Brother Anthony. High key, you have the final words for tonight. The mic is yours.
3: Well, you know, you know I'm also reminded of um, Gil Scott Heron's uh, song, you know, Waiting for the Axe of Fall. You know, recently there's been much discussion among so-called economic elites around the question of the housing bubble. Uh, the housing bubble means that the value the houses of, of, are overstated. And so as a consequence, you got the one uh, a eight a a, a a one a, a one bedroom ranch going for you know close to half five you know half a million dollars, and so clearly you know in terms of value it doesn't take a genius to figure out you know that a, a one bedroom ranch, you know with no land doesn't come even close to five hundred thousand dollars, because of the nature of the economy they've been able to 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 to, to uh, uh, elevate the, the value of these houses, and the problem is that. In elevating the value of these houses, you create a situation in which the mass of the people can no longer afford to buy houses. As a consequence, uh, a lot of people not only can they not afford to buy these houses, but the people who actually got the houses are in a situation where the salaries are not keeping up with the, with the cost of the housing, so they're simply abandoning, abandoning these homes. And so, which means that at some point, you know, uh, the, the, the elites are warning that the housing bubble is going to collapse. And when that collapse, when the housing bubble collapse, it's going to have an impact on the entire uh, state of the economy. And this is one of the real, 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 real ironies in terms of, you know, how this economy operates. Uh, there's a, a tremendous amount of complacency that exists in society, and people are not aware of the fundamental where we are dangers in terms of an implosion that is taking place right before our eyes because we fail to grasp, you know, the seriousness of the economic challenges facing this, nat- this nation. Uh, one of the things, you know, uh, there's a tendency among people, you know, to to you know to pick to express their anger, direct their anger at those who don't have any control over the situation they're currently with. Recently, there have been a couple of incidents in which, you know, um, some people arbitrarily uh, killed some folks based upon their skin color, you know, out of hostility and, and anger and racism. Uh, the bottom line is that killing those people do nothing in terms of resolving the kind of problems that you're confronted with. Uh, in terms of inability, in terms of, you know, housing, inability to find jobs, or inability in terms of, you know, decent medical care. Those problems does not resonate with the the, mass of people. Those jobs are peculiar to a ruling class who doesn't have the interests of the people at heart. And so it doesn't make sense to go around killing people who are powerless, people who have no power. It makes no sense at all. So whatever it is that you think you're trying to express, it's the it's not uh, translating in anything meaningful other than a stupid act because you don't kill someone who has no power who has no ability to remedy the situation or the hardship that that you are feeling. So clearly people got to wake up and realize you know and in, in, in this place anger is not going to resolve the issue. You have to concrete to understand that what the issue is in the capitalist system, and understanding is the problem with the capitalist system, is you understand that we can anticipate certain kind of inadequacies certain kind of hardships being dished out on the mass of the people. In that context, it puts us in a position to maintain you know, our emotional stability because we understand what's coming at us. And understanding what's coming at us, then, and, when we can, and we can do it in a calm fashion, then we're much more in a better strategic position performing a strategy and tactic mm-hmm. in terms of how we're going to respond to it, because how we're increasing attacks on on the citizenry in this country, uh, clearly. But we have to understand that we have to reject this notion that killing poor people is a solution to our dilemma. And as always, Brother Africa, you know, I, I, I close by encouraging people, you know, to unravel the matrix. Uh, that is key. Uh, there is much confusion that permeates the society. And this is precisely what those in the ruling class want. They use their media machine precisely to format as much ignorance as they possibly can. And forming that ignorance, they not only pit people against one another, but they can obscure or conceal the reality in terms of the deconstruction of the decline of this economy. We must understand, you know, there's another reality but we have to struggle. We have to read or you know, to assess or to understand that reality. You know always, Brother Africa, you have a good night and we'll see you next week.
5: Uh, thank you, Brother Hakey, Hammer Panel panelists, and of course the listening audience for allowing us to come to our homes this evening. Where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We'd like to remind you that we want to just provide information to you so you can thank and encourage you to join some organization so you can make a proper contribution to your people. Remember, Africa to boo is a weekly program on every Sunday evening, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time, U.S. Spread the word, and we look forward to seeing you this next week, next Sunday, same place, same time. And if you have any comments, Or any views that you would like to express, please write us at africanthemood at gmail.com. So until next time, like always, we strive to go forward, ever backwards, double. And remember, Africa is on the move. We'll see you next week.
1: Is my king, is my one, yes, he's my father, yes, he's my son, so I can talk to him, because he understands everything I go through and everything I am. He's my support system, I can't live without him, the best thing since life's bread is his kiss, his hugs, his lips, his touch, and I just want the whole world to know about my life. Brother, I love you, and I'll never try to hurt you. I want you to know that I'm here for you forever too. Because you're my bad brother, strong brother, and there is no one. the neighborhood. Well, your information, a lot of my brothers got education. Now check it, you got your Wall Street brother, uh, your new collar brother, you down for whatever, chilling on the corner, brother, a talented brother, and to every one of y'all behind bars, you know that Angie loves you, love my, my black brother, I love you. I'll never try. No, no, no. no. Oh. I you know I'm, you. I'm here for you forever, 'cause you. you. you're my black brother. My brother. I'll brother. never, Said I never hurt hurt you. You. I, want you. You. I want you to know that I'm here for you for oh. You give me what I need. I'm so, proud I'm so proud of you. I love you for staying strong. You got it going you know, now I'm so proud of you. I'm going through thick and thin, brothers, you're gonna win. I'm so proud of you. So you. So you. Whenever you're facing down, brothers, gonna work it out. i